There is no pain like the pain of being betrayed. There is no pain like the pain of being betrayed by a family member. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are talking about the Psalms. The Psalms chapter three is what we're gonna study today. It is a very interesting Psalm, I'll tell you. It's music, the words of music. And keep that in mind as we go through this. We'll do that in just a moment. Corey and Ryan are here, Corey. Well, the Psalms actually talk a lot about trees. So today we are going to be talking specifically about fruit trees in the land of the Bible. Ryan? Today, I'm responding to this viewer question. Is God slow to anger as passages like Exodus 34, 6 teach, or is his wrath quickly kindled as Psalm 212 says? All right, that's a good question. Seems like a conflict, but we'll find out. Janice? I should have my grandsons around me for this one. I'm titling it Swords and Shields. Psalm 3, verses 1 through 8. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, There is no help for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and wept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone, you have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Selah. Psalm chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Psalms 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Eight Psalms, the hymnal of ancient Israel. And these are wonderful words written by David, of course, as one of the authors and several other authors. Very, very interesting. You know, there is no pain like family pain. Nothing as hurtful as when a family member who is close to you betrays you for their own advantage. And that is what David felt when his son Absalom proclaimed himself king. David himself had prepared the way for this betrayal by not applying God's law to his own sons. Amnon, one of David's sons, raped David's daughter Tamar, a daughter by another woman. Now her full brother was Absalom, and David chose to do nothing but mourn over this situation. God's justice was not applied. Now, in a rage fueled by disgust and disappointment, Absalom began to plot Amon's murder for the horrible violence against Tamar. So when David was chased out of town later on because of Absalom's desire to become king, the young rebellious man was achieving what he wanted. The feelings of David's failure must have experienced during this time would be horrible. It would have been devastating. 
Even though God reestablished David, he was a broken man. And Psalms 3 reflects the deep feelings David had as he fled from his son. Now, this is a, this is a, a man who his own son has betrayed him and uh, he fled from him. But let's keep in mind that the way that this whole thing took place started back when Ammon raped Tamar. David did not apply the law of God. This is interesting. And this is how our sin catches up with us, beloved. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage as we begin to read this. Of course, uh, David's simply one of the authors of Psalms, but he is a great man. David was and made many mistakes. But uh, we understand that, that uh, you know, he wrote and explained his feelings and expressed his feelings, the sound of his soul. Very interesting. Now, uh, if you don't have a Bible guide, we we'll send you one call or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on it. It'll take you to a page where you can give a donation. And let me say thank you so much for your donations. They keep us alive. We really appreciate it. And it'll take you to a page where you can download the guide as it's printed. Beautiful. And you can, you're seconds away from being with us. David is troubled. That's what we're reading today. Father, help us to understand Psalms 3. This is a great passage of scripture. But Lord, I pray that as we read it and as we hear it, that we would hear what the sound of David's soul was. Because so many of us also feel the same way. Lord, David expressed himself to you. So help us, Lord, and thank you for giving us this word, which helps us to identify with you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This, this is stunning and amazing. Watch this. Psalm 3, verses 1 and 2. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. How they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Wow, that's... Uh, First verse is incredible. Many are they who say of me, there is no help from him in God, Selah. That Selah is probably a musical expression. There are times it seems that everyone is against you. Have you ever felt like that? Well, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ knows what that's like. <laughs> when everyone's against you, when we read the stories of Jesus Christ, when they bring a, a young man to him who's possessed by Satan and he says, and you hear the words, he says, how long will I be with these unfaithful ones? Jesus Christ is, is just almost devastated by their lack of faith, by their lack of seeing, their lack of understanding. And yet at the same time, so was David, but David didn't understand. He didn't apply the law of God. That becomes important for us to remember. Now, we're learning something here, so let's learn on. Chapter 3, verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. God is the one who helps us. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. He heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me all around. Boy, this is unbelievable. God is always our shield. He's always our shield. Even if we make mistakes, God will heal us and help us. Let me tell you something. I have made many of them. 
<laughs> I want to tell you right now. And I've had to say, oh God, I'm embarrassed to come to you, but help me, Lord. But God already knows that. He knows I made the mistake, beloved. He knows you made the mistake, but still we come to God and we confess it. And we say, Lord, I, I need to make myself aware of this. I've made a mistake. I've sinned. Forgive me. Do you know what the Bible says in John? It says very something very important. It says that if you confess your faults, he will forgive you and he will heal you and he will help you. What an amazing God we serve. That's absolutely stunning. And David prayed this prayer. This is a great prayer for us, by the way. Psalm 3. But let's go back to Psalm. This is 3 verses 7 and 8. Listen carefully to what the Lord says. Arise, O Lord, and save me, David says. Arise, O Lord, and save me. Oh my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbones. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. You broke the teeth of them. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is in the Old Testament before Jesus Christ. Salvation, Yeshua, belongs to the Lord. Your blessings is upon your people. Your blessings is upon your people. That's amazing. Here again, we see this. God gave his salvation, Yeshua HaMashiach. God gave his salvation. The only thing that conquers sin. I mean, that's the only answer for us. There is no other answer. We must ask Jesus to forgive us and come in as Lord of our life. This is what we do. We pray and we say, Lord, focus. And we say, Lord, I need to ask you for forgiveness of my sin. I know that Jesus Christ is Lord. I know that he's fully man. I know that he's fully God and and I believe, Lord, that he came and he lived with us. And as a result, we crucified him. We killed him. But Father, forgive us because he rose again on the third day in the flesh. And I believe that. And he is the only answer for my sin. Oh, God, forgive me of my sin. I come to you now and I pray, Lord, that you would forgive me and, and forgive those who are praying this prayer. Forgive us for our sins. We need to come back to you. We need to make you Lord of our life. So Lord, it's going to be hard, but your Holy Spirit can help me. Help me, Lord, so that we can go forward and we can walk your way, not my way, like I always want to walk. But help me, Lord, to walk your way. In the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior, I pray all of these things and we said together, amen. Remember. If we pray that prayer, God will move on us if we are serious. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. It's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And today I'm responding to a viewer question. And she asks, Ryan, I'm wondering if you can answer a question I have about a questionable contradiction in the Bible. I know there are no contradictions in the word of God. Only our insight is limited. My problem is in regard to God's anger. Psalm 2.12 states God's wrath is quickly kindled. 
But when we compare this to Exodus 34, 6 and Numbers 14, 18, it says God is slow to anger. I'm confused. Is God's wrath different than anger? Or are they the same? If they are the same, I'm confused as to the apparent contradiction. Thank you for your blessed help, Eowyn. Well, you know, this is a really great question, and the good news is that there is an answer. Let's look at Psalm 212 very carefully. Although the Bible consistently portrays God as long-suffering and slow to anger, it seems that Psalm 212 brings this into serious question, as it says that the wrath of God is quickly kindled. As the English Standard Version puts it, Kiss the Son lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. When dealing with apparent difficulties in the Bible, it's always wise to consult other major Bible translations to see how they render the same passage. In this case, when we compare the ESV with other translations, this verse comes across somewhat differently. For example, rather than God's wrath being quickly kindled as in the ESV, the King James Version says that God's wrath is kindled but a little. In the same way, the New International Version, like the ESV, says that God's wrath can flare up in a moment, but Young's Literal Translation says that God's wrath burneth but a little. Though these translations are using very similar words, they are applying them differently, giving two vastly different meanings. Putting it into plain English, the ESV and NIV seem to portray God's patience as small, while the KJV and Young's Literal Translation portray God's wrath as small. The question is, which interpretation is correct? Actually, there is a third way these words could be put together. It may be translated as God's wrath is kindled in a little time. Notice that this translation says nothing of the nature of God's wrath, only that it will happen in a short time. So then, which of the three interpretations is correct? Is God's wrath quickly kindled, kindled but a little, or is it kindled in a little time? From the context of Psalm 2, it is very clear that the ESV and NIV's apparent portrayal of God as quick-tempered is not supported. For example, this psalm is all about Jesus Christ's messianic earthly reign, which is still in the future. This means that God's wrath spoken of in this psalm against the unrepentant has yet to be unleashed. So rather than God's wrath being quickly kindled, he has been and continues to be extremely long-suffering regarding this judgment, allowing time for repentance. Also, this long grace period is consistent with how God dealt with rebellions in the past, such as the global flood and Sodom and Gomorrah. Time and time again, the Lord waited patiently for people to repent, but when they refused, he had no choice but to pass judgment. Also consider the fact that Psalm 2 itself was written as a warning to those who would oppose Christ. This is a great mercy in itself. God, like he has always done in times past, is issuing forewarning long before he takes action. In light of this, it seems best to understand the Hebrew of Psalm 2.12 to mean that God's wrath is kindled but a little, or perhaps kindled in a little time. Since both of these interpretations say nothing of God's patience, there is absolutely no contradiction. God is long-suffering, and no biblical passage says otherwise. 
So to resolve this apparent contradiction, we looked at other major translations of the Bible to see how Psalm 2.12 was being translated in those versions, which was actually pretty different. And based on the context of Psalm 2, we were able to determine that the quickness or shortness spoken of isn't referring to a quick temper, but rather to God's wrath being small or else his wrath being unleashed in a little time. So God is slow to anger and no biblical passage says otherwise. Now, I do want to thank you, Eowyn, for writing in, and I want to recommend to you and everyone watching to check out my full response to this question on our website at BibleDiscoveryTV.com, which was a lot more in-depth. As a matter of fact, if I hadn't edited this article down for time, my segment today would have been around 15 minutes. So this three-minute segment today was really just the highlights. So please do check that out, as I also give some helpful tips along the way on how to study pretty much any passage in the Bible. All right, that's fascinating, Ryan. And of course, we have to cut our time for the 2830 in uh, television. But it's important to remember that the website has places where people can go and find out more information. Uh, we have resources on the website as well. We have the Bible, Bible Discovery Guide on the site as well. This is May's issue. Uh, and it's important to remember that if you have a question, uh, it, because God's anger is perfect, what does that mean? Well, we see God's anger again in Revelation chapter 19, which we'll get to, but that's interesting. We'll talk about that. Okay, Corey, you're up. All right. Well, today I'm going to be talking about trees in the Bible and in the land of Israel, the biblical land of Israel, because, you know, trees were obviously necessary for life, fruit bearing trees specifically, but they also show up in many passages in the Bible. I mean, you go back to Genesis, trees are there. We've got the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now that we're here in the Psalms, we see once again, trees, right? The righteous is like a tree planted beside streams of flowing water. Later on in the Psalms, we're going to read David uh, saying, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of the Lord. Trees are all over the place. So let's start out this study by taking a look at fruit trees in particular. Throughout the Bible, there are many references to different types of fruit trees. Nearly synonymous with the Middle East even today is the olive tree, which is mentioned in the Bible as one of the main products of Israel. In the ancient world, olives were grown for their oil rather than for the fruit in its raw state. These evergreen trees bloom in the early summer with hundreds of small white flowers. At harvest time, the trees would be beaten with sticks to dislodge the olives that would be collected and carried off to be pressed for their oil. Olive oil had many applications. It was a staple of food preparation, was used medicinally to treat wounds, practically as fuel for lamps, and religiously as offerings for anointing and to light the tabernacle and temple. Biblically, olive trees are used symbolically to represent blessing, and on the flip side, their destruction is seen as God's judgment. They're also used as a symbol of beauty. And famously, the prophets likely have olive trees in mind when they spoke of the Messiah as a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Olive trees were propagated not by seeds, but by their natural growth pattern of sending out shoots from the base of the trunk, which could be cut off and rooted into a whole new tree. Even after felling an olive tree, leaving only the stump, the tree would send out these shoots from the base, which in Israel became a symbol of children rising and growing on after the death of their fathers. Psalm 128 verse 3 says, Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. 
Pomegranates were also cultivated in ancient Israel, and the interior seeds of the fruit were eaten fresh, dried for longer storage, pressed for juice, wine, and syrup production, and the fruit rinds may have been used medicinally. Symbolically, pomegranates were used to represent fertility or fruitfulness, and they adorned the priestly clothing, the decor of the temple, and were a popular design in everyday life. Figs were another important fruit grown in ancient Israel. They were a key element of the economy, and they had two harvests, the winter harvest, which was eaten fresh, and the summer harvest that was dried either individually or in cakes for food storage. For Israel, fig trees also symbolize that blessing of their covenant with God, and their destruction is envisioned as God's judgment. The sycamore trees of the Bible are also a type of fig tree, and these give six or more yields of fruit each year. Their figs were considered common food, and it's believed that in some instances, they may have been grown specifically for their wood. Dates, which grow on many varieties of date palm trees, were grown in locations throughout Israel and require extra care to ensure pollination of the flowers. The products of date palms are dates, of course, as well as date honey. Its leaves are used in the making of baskets and woven products, its fibers make cloth and rope, and its sap can be extracted as a fresh or fermented drink. Now, believe it or not, there is a lot to be said about trees in the Bible and in the contemporary culture surrounding ancient Israel specifically. So, you know, it's it's very well documented that many kings kept gardens uh, flourishing with trees. Trees were widespread. Uh, they, they carried widespread religious symbolism, both in the cultures outside of Israel and also inside of Israel. I mean, refer back to the concept of the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Those alone would give them deep religious significance. But then there's also the symbolism that kings would endow with trees as well. So for example, if a king had many different exotic varieties of trees that didn't grow in his area, but grew in places that he had conquered through warfare, these foreign trees would be representative of his power and of his influence over the world. We also know that kings often were referred to themselves as trees, just like King David does here in the Psalms. In fact, in for sure in, in, in ancient Assyria, when kings passed away, they were said to be like trees. And we're going to see that when we get to the book of Ezekiel, we're going to see Ezekiel use tree imagery for the dead kings of old. Uh, and this is also perhaps why the Bible tells us that King Manasseh and Ammon were buried in their palace gardens. Perhaps there's some tree symbolism going on in later ancient Judah as well. So lots to be said for trees. More studies on this later. Fascinating stuff. Janice? <laughs> All right. I called this Swords and Shields and mentioned off the top, I should have my four grandsons around me right now. It was a while back when, Corey, you were teaching your oldest boy, Emerson, about the armor of God. Mm -hmm. And he just was so fascinated by it um, that, uh, you know, they started, uh, he and his little brother and then his cousins started to have missions that they were uh, knights and that they had swords and they had shields. And Auntie Ivy, 
who the boys lovingly call. Ivy is, is one of our volunteers here at the studio, and they have called her Auntie Ivy because all during COVID, Auntie Ivy would take care of them as we're taping, even right now. She's in a room with some of the boys. And she took so much time and care and made them swords for each of them and matching shields. And so they very, very often have their own mission when they come to Bible discovery while we're taping. I have a mission for us today. As we read through Psalm 3, uh, the title here is The Lord Helps His Troubled People. David really puts things into perspective. He's saying that there have been an increase of people who trouble him. And you know, I look at this and he says, many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. That may come mocking from other people, but sometimes that comes within our own selves where we feel like God's help is far away from us, that we are not included in God's redemptive plan for trouble that we are going through right now. There is no help for him and God. But what does David do in this instance? He goes into action in verse three, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. He reminds himself, this maybe is what I'm thinking, or this is maybe what people are saying to me, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory. God is my glory and the one who lifts up my head. And does he stop there? No. Verse four, he goes on. I cried to the Lord with my voice. He didn't walk away. He didn't just go and lay down and pretend like maybe it's all going to go away. He said, but I cried to the Lord with my voice. And what happened? And God heard me from his holy hill. This is that mission. What happens? God hears us when we come to him. He is our help. He is our shield. And it reminds me of that um, armor of God that we read about in Ephesians chapter six. It's the shield of faith. God is our shield. When we put our trust and our faith in him, he is our shield. And we need to remind us and each other about that wonder of God, that might of God, who is our help. When we give our lives to him, when we follow him, when we flee from, from trouble in that something that tempts us that we know we shouldn't do. God is our help and God is our shield. The sword of the spirit. And as Emerson learned, and as we learned, that is the word of God. Using the word of God rightly, not to bring pain and punishment to people or ourselves, but coming to an understanding through God's Holy Spirit of what his word tells us. We can come with the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, the word of God that brings truth and healing and help into our lives. Together with all of these things, with our faith and our hope and our trust in God, we can go through these missions with our commander-in-chief always, our mighty and awesome God. What a mighty and awesome God that we serve. He is our, sh our shield and our help. We pray today, Lord, I need your healing. I need your help. And I wanna thank you, God, for all that you have done for me because the things you have done are so great. 
Thank you, Lord, for helping me today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to remind you that Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we are live on Facebook and YouTube and Bible Discovery TV with a prayer meeting. We want to pray for you. Why not join us? 3.30 to 4.30 Eastern Time. Uh, we'll be live on the air, and if you join us, we'll pray for you.